Hello, my name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be doing something a bit different. I've done something like this before, but uh, we're going to be responding to, well, we, I'm speaking of myself in the royal we. I mean, I, <laughs> you guys won't, I will be responding to an article by Dr. Stephen Neems on transubstantiation and Zwinglianism. Uh, the Byzantine Scotus sent me this article and uh, and wanted to uh, hear my thoughts. So I, I read the article and um, I was quite shocked by by what I read um, because I've always I've always said that there's a little bit um, there's a little bit of a uh, connection between transubstantiation and uh, the reform doctrine of the Eucharist. But when it comes to a more pure Zwinglian doctrine of the Eucharist, I have I've never uh, posited such a such a uh, oneness between the two. And uh, just seeing um, just seeing especially Dr. Neem's I don't mean to laugh, especially Dr. Neem's um, version of Zwinglianism, which is uh, debated whether that would be uh, what Zwingli would have believed um, it. Formally, uh, they are not uh, the same, and transubstantiation, properly understood, uh, does not collapse into Zwinglianism. But before we get into that, um, hear this wonderful ad. Join my Patreon at patreon.com slash militantomist. You get access to more articles and videos. And if you'd like to help in another way, buy a militantomist mug. Lastly, you can buy a book from militantomist press. See options below. Also, if you prefer audio, check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Join the Discord to get involved. And if you're a patron, you get access to other Discord channels. Also, destroy that like and subscribe button and comment to annihilate that algorithm. Lastly, this show is brought to you by Fluent Greek. I'm sure you've forgotten your seminary Greek and need to get it back or just want to learn Greek to read sacred scripture in its original language. That's why Fluent Greek is here. Using modern pedagogical techniques, it is set it up so that you are reading Greek from the very beginning and learn Greek how you're supposed to learn it through reading Greek. It sorts the New Testament by verse from easiest to hardest and then gives space repetition of these verses so that you can read Greek as soon as possible. Even better, it is only 15 bucks a month to use. But if you use the code militant, you can get 20% off and help the show. Go to fluentgreek.com to learn more. And the link is in the description. Okay. So, uh, oh yeah, one brief corrective. So for uh, Fluent Greek, it's actually fluentgreeknt.com. And that's a wonderful resource. So uh, pop a smoke. Thank you. I'm praying for you too. And, uh, Goy for Jesus is here. The other pause here, and it's pronounced Nemesh, 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 Nemesh. I th I think. Sorry. Oh, maybe maybe he wouldn't be offended if I just referred to him as Stephen. Um, I hope he isn't, because I'm terrible at pronouncing words, even in English. Um, but let us get right into it. Share that screen. Got that second screen up. Put myself down there. And here we go. And the link is in the description below if you guys wanted to check out the oh oops. So let us start reading. So in this post, I want to highlight where the point of difference between Thomas's doctrine of transubstantiation and my own version of Zwinglianism or memorialism lies. These two systems are formally very similar. This is something that I would, I would deny, but he's, he's going to prove this throughout the article. But there is a difference at the level of metaphysical interpretation. And I think the metaphysical interpret the metaphysics behind uh, St. Thomas's system is going to make them ex 
extremely formally dissimilar. It's only uh, similar in the terms of, uh, of effect or in, in practical terms. So at the same time, they're very close to one another, so much so that Thomas's transubstantiation arguably dissolves, devolves, contrary to his own intentions, into a kind of Zwinglianism. So this is going to be the central thesis behind the whole article, that Thomas's transubstantiation, St. Thomas's transubstantiation, devolves into Zwinglianism. So for Thomas in the Eucharist, the substance of the bread and the wine are transubstantiated into the substance of the body and blood of Jesus. Okay, that's good so far. The appearances of the bread and wine remain. Good. But the substance is changed into something else. Okay, good. This non-manifest change at the level of substance beyond appearances is grasped by the intellect alone. And notice, um, it's... So normally when we grasp a, the certain substance of a thing, so the way in which uh, Thomas outlines his psychology is you have what's called the, uh, the sensitive faculties, the passive intellect, and the active intellect. So it, with, um, with your sensitive faculties, that's, that's those, your, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, those are taking in um, these certain uh, impresses from from objects outside of of yourself it's taking in those impresses and then you have the uh, the common sense which uh which kind of molds them all together and and is able to okay take all these senses and put it put them on a single object and then with your passive intellect it takes in that intellective impression of the uh outward appearances of a thing and then and then with your active intellect which is uh, which is a certain divine lumen actually infused into the uh, infused into the intellect. By that, um, it formalizes the thing. But that is not how intellection is actually done when it comes to the Eucharist, because with our sensitive uh, faculties, in receiving those sensory impressions, we receive the sensory impressions of the accidents of bread and wine. But our active intellect. Um, does, well, the active intellect of unbelievers would formalize that as, okay, it's just bread and wine then, but that is a false inference because the way in which the, um, the substance of that thing is, is formalized in the intellect is actually through a different means, which is the means of faith. So while he's, he's correct that it's grasped by the intellect alone, it is, um, it is not necessarily in the same way, the same mode in which uh, intellection normally happens. But um, as as uh, as Saint Thomas says in uh, "Pange Lingua Gloriosa," uh, I think that's the the right hymn that he wrote um, for Corpus Christi. He said, "Faith alone suffices," because it goes beyond um, beyond the ordinary powers of the intellect. So these appearances no longer subsist in anything. That's true. They no longer subsist in anything. And I'm sure we're going to, I have a special interest in this topic, <laughs> considering I've written a lot of articles about this, but um, as, as a Protestant and then one as a Catholic, but uh, so I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later, but so that is, they do not belong to any substance. Correct. But rather become pure signs of the presence of Christ's body and blood and the means by which one can take these to oneself. All good and correct. Okay, I see some 
faith alone based. Yeah, Thomas actually likes that language of faith alone, but I mean, so does St. John Henry Newman um, and the fathers of the church. But uh, this is this is not the stream for that. Maybe I should do I should do a, a set of stream just just a quick like thirty second aside. I should do a set of streams going through the solas and uh, and looking for them in the in the church fathers and in the scholastics and showing people how they can use it rightly. Take back the solas from the Protestants. Be kind of base, not gonna lie. Okay, back to it. For Zwingli and for me, in the Eucharist, the bread and the wine are made into symbols of the body and blood of Jesus. And notice made right here is going to be much different than become right here. So I think there's a bit of an equivocation that happens with become and made. They remain perceptibly bread and wine and thus do not really change into something else. Notice he's equivocating perception and reality. Um, no, he's collapse. I mean, he's collapsing uh, perception and reality. It's a very interesting note. But they are given a certain meaning that puts them in relation to something else beyond them. They are no longer thought of and treated merely as bread and wine, but rather as the symbolic means by which one can appropriate to oneself the body and blood of Jesus, which they represent. That's just pure Zwinglianism right there. Which I'm glad he doesn't. He, he at least admits that uh, they it is a means by which we can appropriate the body and blood. Much different than like Baptistic Zwinglianism. Like, I mean, Baptistic by like normie evangelical Zwinglianism. Okay, and then right here, I think there's going to be a big error right here. And then we'll, and then I'll ask you to see if you can, uh, you can pick out the error while I read it. Okay, there is consequently the following formal structure shared by the two views. Let's see if you can find the error. Believing person, description of meaning, apparent bread, body of Jesus, body of Jesus, apparent bread, appropriative act of eating, believing person. What's what's the what's the problem here, guys? Can can you see any of the problem here? I think this is one of the biggest problems. One of the central problems is his um, rationalizing of, of St. Thomas. That gives you a hint. I don't see anybody guessing. I'll give you guys like 10 seconds. Y'all are out of time. Y'all get an F in this class right now. Ascription of meaning. Why is that a problem? It's not a problem in Zwinglianism because it would be through the uh, the application of the intellect. It's the wrong way around. No, I don't think so. Um, because in, in Zwinglianism, that wouldn't be wrong because the application of the intellect in the contemplation of the body and blood of Christ and uh, in our act of faith would be the means by which the sacrament is received. But do those without faith receive the sacrament? Yes. Yes, they do receive the sacrament. The the reception of the substance of bread and wine of the substance of, of Christ's body and blood has nothing to do with the intellectual act. It has nothing to do with the contemplation of the body and blood. What it has to do with is um 
is merit really, which is the disposition of um, of matter to form. So receiving it uh, without an imp- impediment, because even if you receive it with an impediment, you still um, you still are receiving the sacrament. You're just not receiving the grace of the sacrament. So this is also why um, in the in the ancient uh, Latin Church. And then also in the modern uh, Eastern Catholic churches, infants can receive the Eucharist. But in Zwinglian churches, infants cannot receive the Eucharist because this isn't a purely intellective act. This isn't a purely intellective act. The only thing which is going to stop the grace of the sacraments. So you, so really you have it, you have it flipped on its head when it comes to Zwinglianism versus, um, versus the Catholic view on this. So, so with Zwinglianism, you have, let's say, if 10 people receive the Eucharist, um, receive the, the, the Eucharist, yes, two people are going to truly be able to receive the, the sacrament itself. And those two people, the reason why those two receive it and the eight don't is because they have made a positive act of intellection in, in contemplating and rightly um rightly uh what is paul's language rightly um i can't i can't remember it's not testing rightly uh considering i'll just use considering rightly considering the body and blood that's where they that's where they get the idea from rightly considering the body and blood by that they will receive the sacrament but in the catholic view it's completely flipped over so you have these 10 people, eight don't receive the grace of the sacrament. All 10 receive the sacrament, but eight don't receive the grace of the sacrament. Why don't the eight receive the grace of the sacrament? It's not because they didn't make a positive act of intellection. It's just because there was an impediment placed, whether it be by it, an impediment which is placed by mortal sin. So you have to actively work to not receive the grace of the sacrament. Where in the Zwinglian view, you have to actively work to receive the grace of the sacrament. It's very different, very different. Discerning, that is the language. Okay. And also, I might take a few questions. Um, There might have to be a part two to this. I did promise the wife that I'd only spend 30 minutes on this. We're already halfway. We're already 15 minutes in. Okay. So the believing person ascribes a certain meaning to the apparent bread and wine, such as to make it possible to appropriate to oneself in some way the body and blood of Jesus. This formal structure of the sacramental act is shared by Thomas and Zwingli and Mia like, no, false, completely false. That is not true. Not true at all. Okay, I think we might better finish it. Let me... Why does the modern Latin church deny infants confirmation in the Eucharist? I just has it. I don't, I, I prefer the practice of infant uh, chrismation and Eucharist. It just has to do with some uh, Latin disciplines and traditions, which arose over time. Okay. So the difference between the two views is a matter of the material interpretation of this act in terms of metaphysics. So Thomas believes that things that exist have two dimensions of their being. There is the dimension that is manifest in experience, namely the accidents of things, and the dimension that is not experienced manifest, experientially manifest, 
namely their substance. And I don't like this language of experience, experientially manifest. I do not at all like that language at all. I, because when it, when it comes to the substance, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, it, I explained the, the psychology of the act of intellection, but, uh, but yeah, substance is experientially manifest, but only in the application of the active intellect or the agent intellect, depending on who you talk to. The substance is grasped by the intellect alone. The change takes place in order to make the bread and wine transform into the body and blood of Jesus takes place in this non-manifest dimension of substance. So also another thing is he seems to seems to conflate in re, so in, in the thing and in, in intellectus, in the intellect. So the thing in the uh, the the idea of in the thing, such as uh, the, the substance, which is in the thing, he conflates that with uh, w- with its relation to his intellect, which is very interesting that there's this conflation, which is consistently going on, which it might have to do with his philosophical background, though. Okay, because pure, purely the, the change the change is always connected with the experience or the intellect. The change is never considered in Ray in itself. It's very interesting. So Zwingli denies that material things can change substantially into something else without this change becoming experientially manifest. Thus he writes in the treatise on the Lord's Supper, blah, 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 blah. I won't read that. He's really low on time. He posits a tight correlation between the way things are and the way they are perceived. He therefore believes that the change is not one of substance, but rather one of signification. The bread is no longer thought of merely as a bread, but is rather taken as signifying or representing the body of Jesus. I think this is going to be the main difference between um, between the Reformed view and the, uh, the Zwinglian view. Because with the Reformed view, it's not merely one of signification, but uh, you could also say one of instrumentality. Okay, so for me, Thomas's transubstantiation view is unacceptable because of his proposed distinction between a manifest and non-manifest sphere of being. <laughs> and and again, I, I think this is just, how do I say this nicely? Um, philosophically bad that that's how I'll, I'll say it nicely because really the distinction of substance and accident is so basic it is so completely basic to uh human experience it is absolutely a philosophy of common sense that there are manifest and non-manifest spheres of being that even though um you have a baby who grows up to an into an adult and there is no uh there's almost no continuity uh, when, when it comes... Actually, there is no continuity when it comes to accidents. The material completely changes um, between the two. Since there is that non-manifest sphere of being, um, we say that that person is still that person. So, um, yeah, I... Okay. Okay, so Diego... Latin disciples, disciplines that deny infants, the body and blood of Christ. I don't think you can leave the answer there and just move on. That sounds very serious. It needs a serious reason, right? Yeah, I don't, I, I, 
I, I'm not defending the Latin discipline. I don't think the Latin discipline is the best option. And I'll, I'll agree with you there. But is it licit? And does the church have the authority to do that? Do so? Yeah, it does. And also, it's important to note that um, that the community of infants is not explicitly um, or even implicitly uh, the the proper subject of the Eucharist is not explicitly or impl implicitly contained in Scripture. So it is um, up to the um, authority of the church when it comes to making canonical regulations for this. But that's not what we're talking about now. So this would not be so bad if the two spheres were essentially correlated with one another. Hey, they are essentially correlated with one another. They are. They are essentially correlated with one another. That would be like saying that um, the production of children is not essentially correlated with the sexual act because of the incarnation. Because there was one virgin birth or because of the creation of Adam, because there was a singular creation in the beginning and the uh, procession, obviously, of Eve from the side of Adam. Just because there's this one or, or three examples in our case, therefore, the two are not essentially connected or correlated. For St. Thomas, naturally, yes, they are essentially correlated. But St. Thomas has to argue that the two can come apart in principle in order to make sense of the sacramental change involved in the Eucharist. Precisely because there is no correlation between what appears and what is really there, and precisely because Thomas, St. Thomas, to you, St. Thomas wants to say that transubstantiation of this sort is not impossible or contradiction. The two spheres of manifest and non-manifest are not essentially correlated simply in principle. This is unacceptable because it leads to skepticism. So does this lead to skepticism? Let me have this pulled up earlier. Kind of mad that. Do, does this lead to skepticism? What would St. Thomas say to this? Well, look at that. Dang, where is... Okay. Oh, there it is. I don't know why I couldn't find it. Okay. Um, sorry. I don't know why I can't find this. Look at that. Tertia Pars, question 75, article 4, objection 2. I'm telling you, any objection you're going to give to Thomas, any objection, he's going to answer it. So if you haven't found an answer to your questions because you haven't looked hard enough. So further, there ought not to be any deception in a sacrament of truth, but we judge of substance by accidents. It seems then that human judgment is deceived if while the accidents remain, the substance of the bread does not. Consequently, this is unbecoming to the sacrament. So let's see how he responds right here. There is no deception in the sacrament, for the accidents which are discerned by the senses are truly present. But the intellect, whose proper object is substance, as it is said in De Anima 3, is preserved by faith from deception. 
So again, I think you have to make that clear distinction by the, the two modes of intellection and then a separate mode of intellection by faith, that by faith alone, which happens uh, in the sacraments. Okay, let's get back to it. One can never be sure if the way things appear and the way they are, since any comparison between the two spheres would have to take place with the appearance of the appearance of the unit, the adequacy of which we are already in question. Again, again, again. He is, he is assuming, that, that's like me saying, if I walked around the street tonight and I saw a bunch of people, just because there was one virgin birth, I would not be able to assume that this guy had two uh, human parents. That's just absurd. It's absolutely absurd because there's a single article which is taken by faith. Okay, let's keep going. One might also wonder whether Thomas's view does not ultimately degenerate into Swingley's kind of memorialism. It doesn't. Thomas maintains that the appearances of bread and wine remain after transubstantiation has been accomplished without subsisting in anything else. This is to say that they exist without existing in something else. True. They don't exist in something, but they exist by something. Because the um, when you have the first and a second cause... So the first cause of an accident is God. Second cause is the substance. So since the first cause is more powerful than the second cause, the first cause can bring about the effect of the second cause without the necessary instrumentality of the second cause. So they are maintained in being by God's power alone, but this is... <laughs> oh my gosh. But this is the classic definition of substance, that which exists without existing in anything else. As, as, this, this is a bit annoying because you have St. Thomas, who's obviously a giant of the faith. So any, any response to St. Thomas has to have a great, great, great deal of respect just for his intellect. Does he realize that St. Thomas proposes that the classical definition of substance and accidents are actually wanting and that we need and that we need a uh, a different definition of this in order to truly um, describe what substance and accidents are so i'm going to take you down right here And I'm showing you this Patreon article for free. So if you really appreciate me, become a patron at patreon.com slash militantcomist to get access to more articles like this. Okay, so, so again, accidents are those beings which in here. So again, St. Thomas, so to this idea of... Um, the major premises put forth accidents are those beings which in here to the first it seems as if this merely accounts for the action of an accident this only accounts for the action of an accident and does not account for the true definition rather we should seek the quiditas of the thing by accounting for the genus in differentia not the action of the accident and notice genus is going to be improperly speaking Okay. And 
And then again, the term, so not the proper operation of a thing. Okay. So the differentia of an accident ought rather to be defined as one which does not exist by its own inherent virtue, as St. Thomas teaches. And this def this is from Turchia Pars, Question 77, Article 1, Response to Objection 2, where he deals with this exact object. Again, a lot of these objections are dealt with by St. Thomas. There's no interactions with what, with what St. Thomas is saying on this matter. And that's just really sad. So I, I don't really need to go through this whole thing. But if you want this whole article, then you could uh, you can become a patron of any amount. Um, if you want to be a $1 patron, go ahead. But yeah. Okay. And Thomas believes that all created things remain in being by God's power alone. Correct. But is it the, um, is it the uh, producing the effect of the second cause without the second cause? So there's an, another conflation here. <clears throat> and I think it's a lot stronger than by God's power alone. It's actually by participation in his being alone. So the apparent bread and wine thus arguably remain a substance. False. As was said, St. Thomas also believes that the relationship between the apparent bread and wine in the body and blood can only be grasped by the intellect. No. Well, not in the sense in which he's saying it. But to put one substance in relation to another by means of the intellect, not notice right here, one substance in relation to another, I think he means to put an accident in relation to another. And he has not sufficiently proved, and I will I will go to town on this any day. I was the one who wrote the articles, putting forth the same exact art argument. I was the one who wrote another article refuting all of those arguments. Red Thomas, Red Scotus, it's pretty, St. Thomas and Blessed Scotus. But it's pretty obvious that he has not dealt with St. Thomas's arguments when it comes to why it doesn't devolve into a substance. In relation to another, by means of the intellect, is to assign a certain meaning to it. Notice this is running off of a false premise. And to save one substance that it is another substance is to assign it the meaning of representation or imaging. And notice, false premise. It's not one substance into another substance, but it's actually the accidents. One can point at a portrait on the wall and say this is my wedding day or at an actor on the stage and say this is Hamlet. Thus, Thomas' transubstantiation arguably amounts to Zwinglianism. And still, even so, this isn't the case, even if we wanted to say, okay, there's two sets of substance, just like the Lutherans believe. Substance of the bread and substance of the wine. Even if you wanted to say that, an interaction with a substance is a lot different than um, a lot different than uh, uh, the signification of one substance to another substance. It's the difference between um, kissing your wife and kissing a picture of your wife. That, and if you don't know the difference between those two things, um, I think we have much more fundamental questions to to ask ourselves. Okay, and then he draws the conclusion right here that Thomas's view of the Eucharist is not very far from Swingley's. And I also wanted to, um, oh yeah. Thomas's division into reality into non-correlated manifest and non-manifest spheres leads to skepticism. So I wanted to bring up another example because I think this is a really good example. 
the example um the example of christology so when it comes to christ and i hope you affirm this um i really hope you affirm this stephen if you're listening there are there is one hypostasis or person two natures three substances and there's only one set of accidents actually no the, the soul would also have accidents yes so there is one hypostasis the hypostasis of the word two natures divine nature and human nature and then three substances which is the substance of the divinity substance of the of the uh, soul the immaterial substance of man and then the material substance of man which is the body and then there's two sets of accidents which are the accidents of the soul and notice this the accidents of the soul are not made manifest through uh sensory means which is why i don't really like that definition and then there's also the accidents of the body so when it comes to our lord how are we interacting with him through the accidents of the body so do we do we know the nature of divinity through the accidents of the body well yeah so in the accidents of the body while it doesn't appear so through intellection rational intellection but through faith through faith in seeing christ so also i see the substance the divinity I have this icon. When I look at this icon of our Lord, when I look at it, I see the substance of humanity through faith, through faith. So I think that is very important that we have actually a second example. So really, this would absolutely annihilate the incarnation if you're going to be very consistent with this, these metaphysics. Okay, that's all I have for you, and thank you. And do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory.